Mornings are better with a warm beverage, even for Latter-day Saints. Meet Postum, the ideal coffee alternative and proud sponsor of This Week in Mormons podcast. Spotted on the coffee aisle at Smith's Grocery or at your local nearby store. Can't locate it? No worries. Order it at postum.com. Explore delicious recipes to tailor your Postum experience. Start your day off right with Postum. to This Week in Mormons, the Taffy Edition. This is your host, Tiffany Hales, and I am here with Tiffany and Friends for You. And my guest tonight is a longtime listener, first-time recorder, and her name is Laura Wolford. Laura, thank you very much, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. We're happy to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. Oh, well, (laughs) the first time that I have anybody on the episode, I always like them to introduce themselves so that our listeners can can know a little bit about you. So let's just start with where are you physically located, Laura? Where do you live? So I am from the Midwest. I'm from Ohio, uh, Dayton area. So Ohioans use the three C's, uh, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. I'm halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati. In the middle of a cornfield. Okay. So. (laughs) And tell us, what's your occupation? What do you do for a living? I am a high school, middle school choir and drama teacher. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All things singing, musical theater, and school related. And I do a lot of those extra teacher things, like I'm the junior class advisor. So I plan prom and I'm color guard and... I do a lot of things, so I'm school. Oh, how fun. So what musical is your high school doing this year? Do you do a musical every year? Yes, I do two musicals a year. My middle school does one in the fall, and we just did Finding Nemo Jr. Okay. And I am rehearsing Mamma Mia right now with my high schoolers. fun. It is such a blast. Best part of my job. My uh, 16-year-old daughter is in choir at her school, and her choir, or her school doesn't have, they have a drama teacher, but he doesn't like to do musicals, so the choir teacher does the musicals, and so they are in rehearsals right now for Hello, Dolly. I love Hello, Dolly. I I could talk for hours about musical theater, um, and I I won't, I promise, but I I just love musicals and the programs and and all that jazz. So I I really do too. We just got a new uh, counselor in my Relief Society presidency, and she is the drama teacher at our local high school, and she loves musicals as well. So it's it's the best job. It really is. I am feeling all the musical love these days. <laughs> all right. So Fun. also tell us about your family. So, uh, I mean, you know this because I told you in the email. Yes. I am, it's me, myself, and I. I am in that lovely grouping of mid-singles in the church. Um, but I have three amazing nephews and an awesome niece, so I love to spoil them rotten since I have no kids of my own. And I have one brother, so it's a pretty small family, all things considered. But it's awesome. And then since I am all on my own, I have filled my house with cats. I am a crazy cat lady. I have four and you will wow. see at least one of them jumping around behind me most likely because they just, they love being around when I'm on a computer. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's, 
my crazy so family. Does your family live close to you in Ohio? Do you at least have they family do. close? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So all my all my family's close enough together. We can get to each other pretty quickly. My parents are in the same ward as I am. So okay, which is kind of fun. Um, and yeah, it all works. I love it. Okay, so one of the questions that I always ask uh, a first-time co-host with me is, how were you introduced to, to This Week in Mormons? How did you find us? I I don't, the exact details are fuzzy, but the gist of it is I was at EFY in 2006 when uh, Al was a counselor, and he was not over my company. Uh, he was over another company, but all of the kids, we, we all knew Al. Uh Because he was just ridiculous and crazy. And And very tall. Yes, very tall. And his group were the Moose group. You know, that was their, like, call. And um, I sometime after EFY, you know, Facebook, we're all connecting and socializing with each other. And I got invited. Somehow I found out about the podcast because I became his friend. And and so I started listening very early on within the first year of TWIM. So I have been around basically since the beginning. Oh, my gosh. I don't and I think have I listened have, to every episode. I do not think I have ever met a listener who has been there since the beginning. I think I first started listening when they were probably four or five years into it, maybe. I think like my first episode I listened to was like maybe episode 19 or 20, if I remember correctly. Wow. And so then I went back and listened. And uh, yeah, so Twim's just been around for ages in my life. And it's just part of my routine. I really, really love Twim. Oh, well, thank love you. Love the so commentary. You- love it all you have seen the evolution of twim then over the years yeah and it's been fun i really enjoy it al and jeff are great i've loved the various co-hosts throughout the years that have introduced introduced and and the shifting and the changing it's all been good so and i i'll reference it a lot in conversation like oh my churchy podcast i listen to my church culture podcast i listen to and that's just my quick way of describing it and it's it just comes up it references it's cool so I haven't told anyone around that I'm doing it yet. I'm waiting to surprise them, but. Oh, that'll be yeah. awesome. Okay. So that brings me to my last kind of introductory question. What made you, why, why are you crazy enough to want to co-host with me? I have no idea. No, I mean, <laughs> I love Twim. And, and it just, you guys are always so fun to listen to. And I kind of talk back to you guys while I'm listening because I'm a nut job. I love um, that. And. I just, you know, sometimes I'm listening and I think it, it'd be really interesting to throw the perspective of being someone who is outside of the the Western part of the exactly. church. I love listening to the international uh, hosts because that's such a unique perspective. And I think like being out here in the Midwest in the, what they used to call the mission field, you know, <laughs> whatever. But I, I think it's just an interesting different take sometimes on, on church issues and, and things like that. So I just thought it'd be fun. Why not? Well, it's like a good idea. I'm so glad that you did. And and I'm appreciative because you bring a very different perspective because you're in a very dim, different demographic than a lot of our other co-hosts. And that's kind of what I've been looking for in the Taffy edition is I've been looking for people to co-host with me that bring kind of a little bit of a different perspective. Um, Ariane and I think very much alike. We're sisters. We sometimes joke that we share a brain. Um, but I I really do appreciate all of the different perspectives that we're getting on TWIM these days. I, I, I think it's great. So 
Speaking of TWIM, I have to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. We are sponsored this year by none other than Postum. And so for those of you who are watching on the video tonight, I have my little cup here (coughs) and I have my first cup of Postum. I have never tried Postum until tonight. Last time when I recorded, Holly Kosos, who is a has been a lifelong Postum fan, said you put a little of the creamer in it that is the oat creamer that's a salted caramel. And so I did that tonight and I it's it's actually pretty good. I mean, I am a diet and true Diet Coke girl. I've got my Diet Coke here too. I will always pick Diet Coke. But if I want a hot drink, I'm like, I can I, I like this. It's not heavy the way hot chocolate's heavy. So yeah, I did promise the bitterness is really good. Yeah. I promised that I would return and report. So (laughs) speaking of which, it is the end of January. Today is the 26th day of January. I think we've got what? 27? We've got about five more days to go in the January that I don't know how it's felt for you, but for me, I'm like, good gravy. Is this month ever going to end? It feels like it's about the 61st day of January. (laughs) Yeah. It's like five days left too many. And it yeah. was a full moon last night. So I'm, I'm really reeling right now as a teacher. So oh, I bet. we're ready for this month to be done. Well, I have to say January is, it, it just, I'm going to throw shade on January. It is my least favorite month of the year. The days are short. It's terribly cold. The fun of Christmas is over. And I just, the, the, the January blahs kind of really hit me this week. But I do have to say, I did get the opportunity this month to do a ton of service. I don't know what your weather has been like, but we had probably about 10 days of some pretty consistent snowstorms and pretty significant snowstorms. Um, we, we, we get not as much snow in Boise area as they get down in Utah, but you know, enough that we have to shovel our walks and whatnot. So, um, In fact, there was one Sunday about 10 days ago, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, every stake in the valley canceled church except for my stake because it was so snowy. But my stake forged on. But uh, my my husband, he was like, yeah, I'm skipping church. I'm going to go shovel driveways. And so he went out and he shoveled uh, driveways. And then after church, I joined him. And it was such a great experience because honestly, I got to meet some neighbors. I know all of my immediate neighbors, but there's a neighbor who lives across the street on the corner and I don't know her. And we had noticed her driveway wasn't shoveled. And so my husband went over there and started working on it. And then I joined him and she came out and she's like, who are you? Why, why are you here? <laughs> and, and he's just like, I'm just here to shovel your driveway. And he's, she's just like, where are you from? And he's like, well, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he got to have a little missionary moment with her and she wanted to pay him. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not paying me. In fact, um, if you remember in December, we had a... um, we had a, a one of the red booths, one of the light the world booths a friend of mine had made for our board Christmas party. And one of the cards that you could take was shovel snow. And so he took several of those cards and he actually gave this neighbor across the street one of the shovel snow cards. And he said, look, I took this card at my church. And so I have to do this good deed for somebody. And so you are the recipient of my good deed. And it, it just, it was, it was really sweet. It was a great way to get to know the neighbors and, and she wasn't the only one. We met several others that that we didn't know. And so that has been the one bright spot in my January is shoveling snow and getting to meet some of my delightful neighbors. 
Oh, that's awesome. You can send a little snow our way. We've been really slow on the uptake there. We've had fog recently. Oh. Really bad fog. Like we've had a couple of days where we've delayed and canceled school because of fog. Oh, so, wow. That's, that's yeah. some serious fog. It's really hard to drive out. I teach in a rural school district. And so okay. you know, it, it's hard to see. So, yeah. but snow would be nice. The kids would like it too. Okay. Well, I'll see what I can do to, to send some snow your way. So, all right. Well, should we do some news stories since that's what we're here for tonight? I think we should. Okay. Well, and the news has finally picked up the first three weeks of January. We were struggling here at TWIM to find some news stories to bring y'all because it just had kind of been a little bit slow. But this week, it's starting to pick up again. So I have hope that, you know, things will be churning and uh, and news stories will be going again. So the first one that we have tonight is kind of a big deal. Uh, Orem, Utah got their temple dedicated. Now, you may remember there is uh, several years ago, President Nelson announced a temple in Orem. The site that they selected is literally right off of I-15 by the Utah Valley University campus. It is one of those temples that you will definitely see driving down the interstate. Uh, the temple in Boise is one that's right off the interstate, but the Meridian Temple is not. So, you know, it's kind of interesting where they where they end up with these locations. But it's a rather large temple. It's about 70,000 square feet. So it's definitely not one of those mini temples. And so... Uh, Elder Christofferson dedicated the temple. He did it in two sessions this last Sunday, a 10 a.m. session and a 1.30 p.m. session. Of course, his wife was there. And I thought this was very interesting. Our newest apostle, Elder Patrick Curran, got invited to participate in the temple dedication. So I am assuming this is his first participatory as an apostle. He probably participated in several as a 70 when he was in the presidency of the 70, I'm guessing, but uh, now as an apostle. And then, of course, they had some other 70s there as well. So Elder Christofferson uh, gave some really good advice to the saints when he dedicated the temple. He said um, that when church members leave the temple, their problems and challenges have not changed, but their perspective has changed and becoming... Um, more sure and accurate. And I, I, I really liked that. And um, he says, let's see here, um, uh, that the temple also helps people realize what small matters need attention so they don't become serious issues. In short, with our time in the temple, we have been refined, even if it's only a small degree, and heaven is that much closer. So I, I really liked that. And then they gave a lot of background on how the Orem Temple came to be. Actually, they gave a lot of background on Orem that I had never known yeah. before. I thought and that it was, was really fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating. So uh, Orem, actually, um, so of course, we all know Brigham Young colonized the Salt Lake Valley. And he sent people down to the Orem area, which at that point in time was called the Provo Bench. And... Um, what I thought was really interesting is they created a branch in 1883, and then two years later, it became the Timpanogos Ward, and um, they selected Orem as the name. It was chosen in honor of Walter C. Orem, who was the president of an interurban railroad line between Salt Lake and Provo, but this is what I thought was really fascinating. So, uh, you know, so they have their first stake sometime around the turn of the century, from what I could gather, 
But then they did not organize their second stake until 1947. And I'm like, wow. I mean, 1947 doesn't seem... I was born in 67. So 1947 is that long ago. Is like, wasn't that long ago? And I'm like, really? really? They only had their second stake in 1947. I mean, that was mind blowing to me, especially when you look at it now. And there are literally thousands of stakes down there now in that area. And so it just really is such a, um, an example of the proliferation of the saints and the church in that area. And the other thing too is, you know, whenever they do a temple, they try and reflect kind of some of the nature and the culture of what is, of where the temple is located. Uh, they did that in the Meridian Temple here. And, but what they did down in Orem is, Apparently, there were tons of um, orchards in Orem. It was a fruit growing area, and much of the fruit traveled on Mr. Walter Orem's railroad, who the city was named after. And so much of the temple's interior design is a nod to that legacy of fruit growing with a cherry tree motif, including its blossoms, leaves, fruit, and branches being particularly prominent. And I, I really liked that. Our Meridian Temple, I believe they have the Sago Lily, if I recall correctly, is what kind of their um, their motif is. So I, I did not know that. I didn't obviously go to the dedication or anything. Said local members are thrilled to have this new temple. Um, they kind of never imagined that they would get a temple in Orem just because you look and you've got the Provo Temple and then you've got the Provo City Center Temple. And then, of course, you know, you have um, yeah. Mount Timpanogos. And so they they really never thought that they would get one. So they were they were quite thrilled when uh, President Nelson announced that. And then, of course, um, this temple, the location of it being right there by Utah Valley University. It's interesting because the article talks a lot about they are using those students who attend Utah Valley University as um, temple ordinance workers. Yes. And I how... am here for this. <laughs> I am all about this. So why do you think no. that's so cool? Well, I think that, um, and again, a lot of my perspective on things, it's just, it's obviously uh-huh. shaped by lift experience. And I mean, I spent a lot of time in YSA wards or branches yeah. out here, YSA branches. Um, and I think the temple is such a blessing to young single adults. And that's such an interesting dynamic that trying to find our place in the church, seeing the shift in how they've treated young adults over the last 10 years, it's just been interesting to watch. Um, and I think encouraging young adults to go, and this also kind of allows them to encourage them to go not necessarily attached to a big life event. I remember growing up, you know, going to the temple, you were either going to go on your mission, or you were getting married. Those were the two ways to go. I'm very grateful that I went through because I felt ready. And then I actually did get to be a temple worker here in Ohio for a couple of years. Um, and I loved it. And the, the things you learn and the blessings. And I think this is such a good thing for young adults. So I loved that they called this out and talked about the blessings to that particular demographic and the, calling it a daily battery charge. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I would have loved this in college, but the temple was too far away then. So for me, so. I was here for this. I completely agree because same thing. When I grew up, the only people who worked at the temple were old retired people. I mean, it just was not on anybody's radar to have anybody young in there. And I, I love that shift that we've made 
because I think it is so good for the youth and gives them, you know, uh, I don't want to say a reason or an excuse to attend the temple, but, you know, if you having volunteered in the Meridian Temple, you know, knowing once a week, okay, I'm going to be in the temple. I didn't really have to either think or plan my temple attendance. And I got all of those blessings from temple attendance um, by virtue of the fact that, you know, I was volunteering. You're serving. There. You're serving. And sometimes your your shift serving, you're, you go in and they assign you to like, oh, you're going to go be in the session and be a patron. patron. That's great. Um, I did every other week and it was, oh, it was so much fun. And the, my, the workers I worked with were great. It was a slow Tuesday night shift, but we always had a good time. And the amount of things I learned, I just, I loved it. So that's awesome. Well, and it sounds like maybe you made some lifelong friends from that experience as well. I did. They were fun. They were cute. And I also, my parent, uh, my mom worked with me on that shift. So that was also oh, kind of cool, awesome. you know, just fun. So, yes. So congratulations to Orem, Utah on your temple now being dedicated and uh, sounds like it will be full of young college students as ordinance workers and hopefully young college students and patrons that span the globe uh, uh, coming to do some temple work there. So great thing. All right. We have a second temple related story tonight. The Manti Temple, you may recall that is one of the pioneer era temples that President Nelson has said, we're going to revamp our pioneer era temples. And he started with St. George and St. George recently got done. Manti is now close to being finished. And then, of course, they're working on Salt Lake. And I believe they're going to start Logan here at some point in time. But they are so close on Manti that they have released their open house dates. So I was kind of a little surprised at their open house dates. Their open house is going to run from Thursday, March 14th to Friday, April 5th. That's like maybe two and a half weeks. It was so short. I would have thought it would be a little longer, especially with the significance. I mean, this is a pioneer era temple. This is not just, I mean... Columbus just was rededicated this past summer. Um, and I think our open house was like at least a month, if not six weeks. I, I can't yeah. remember. So this was this was really short. That is what I thought. And I think when they did St. George, St. George's open house ran for at least six weeks, maybe even two months. Um, so I was, I was shocked at how short it was. And the other thing too, of course, like all temples, you know, they're like, Hey, get online, get a reservation. Um, so my husband had sent me a text message. I don't know how he had seen it, but he said, Hey, Manta temples, you know, doing their open house. And it was the very day that the church had done the press release. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get online and get us tickets because his birthday falls on a weekend. And I said, let's go down to Utah for the weekend. Let's uh, get tickets for the Manti open house. And so less than probably five or six hours after the church released this press release, I got online to get tickets for that Saturday and nearly every time slot was gone. I only had a choice of about six or seven different time slots uh, to choose from. And so I just thought, wow, these, these tickets are, are going fast. So and, I mean, and maybe, I, they'll, maybe they'll extend. You never know. I know, except um, they've already set the dedication for the Sunday, April 21st. So they'd have to move their dedication. 
Maybe it has something to do logistically with, I mean, the temple department and, and yeah. how the dedications go because that group, so Columbus, when they were rededicated, I, uh, I, I got the privilege, I, I guess you, I, I thought it was privilege. Um, I got to be one of the choir conduct- directors for the dedicatory choirs and the group that comes in and organizes those, they're fascinating the way they roll out and, um, the sister that we were working with, like she was talking about, Oh yeah, I'm hopping on a plane in the morning and I'm flying to some South American country to get that open house rolling, then back up to a, a stateside temple. And maybe it's just a logistical issue. And they only had, Oh, hello cat two <laughs> two weeks. Okay. Goodbye. This is Ursula, everyone. Cat uh, tax. Hello. <laughs> Goodbye. So, I mean, maybe it's just a logistical yeah. scheduling thing but yeah. it is odd it, it it is and and i've said this before and i will probably say it again i'm going to be so curious how long they do the open house for salt lake city because um i know for sure i want to go to the open house for salt lake city and i think every person yeah. i know does and so i am guessing that that getting a reservation to go see the dedication <laughs> for this or to go see the temple open house for the salt lake city is kind of going to be like trying to score Ooh. a taylor swift ticket it's going to be hard yeah it's going to be hard let's break the internet with that one yeah so. i think we probably will Anyway, so I have no idea if they even have any reservations left, but if you're interested in going, you can get online and get some reservations. So, all right, Laura, you have our next story. So our next article uh, we're talking about is all about Elder Kieran and uh, the title is The Beautiful and Stretching Life Experiences That Prepared Elder Kieran to Be an Apostle. This is just a beautiful piece where uh, Elder Kieran reflects on um, just things that he's gone through that's prepared him for this point in his life. And a lot of things I didn't know personally, I mean, he's a newer apostle. Um, he's but young. Yes, he is. And he's fascinating. I mean, he is a convert and all these things that are so cool. But then he talks about just some personal trials that he and his wife went through the, they lost their son very, very young, like within a couple of weeks of being born to uh, a congenital heart defect. And he shared, you know, his experience and his testimony growing experience with that. And he um, specifically referenced a conver- a general conference talk by Elder Lansby Wickman, but if not, that shares, Elder Wickman shares his journey going through hardships and going back to um, the but if not scripture in yeah. the Old Testament, I I loved this and and that that a concept you know of really just grasping on to our our testimony and our faith even if but if not if life doesn't work out the way um, he did and so Elder Kieran shares you know what he learned from that experience and how much that helped him grow and shaped him and then he talked about uh, his experience being his conversion. Uh, meeting the missionaries in England. I love this. I, I made a note about, he said, you know, he returned to his native England. He met missionaries on the streets of London and told them, I admire you greatly, but don't try to convert me. Nothing good ever happens when you challenge the missionaries like that. It, it's just, no. It's not going to end well. <laughs> it's not going to end well for you. So uh, he he talks about, you know, over the next six months, you know, learning from them, growing and feeling things that he couldn't explain and uh, 
getting a priesthood blessing and that being a big turning point. It's a beautiful conversion story. And then it really he talks is. about more how his family, he left, he became a general authority and then he had to leave England and leave his family. And, and a lot of his family who aren't members, they, they didn't understand why he would pick up his family with his young children, his daughters and move. But then he talked about the great experiences they had traveling all over. And I got to thinking, man, imagine how cool that would be to grow up and you travel around with your, your father on church assignment and experience all these different cultures living in Germany. Um, and cause he was in the Europe area presidency and, and just all those experiences, how cool would that be? Um, exactly. I'm so excited to just get to hear from him more and see him in the quorum of the 12. It's just, he, he every picture of him, he's just emulating love. I mean, yeah. they all do. Let's be real. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all amazing. I'm just really excited about this. And again, I think it'll be a very interesting and unique perspective that is I think it will new mm-hmm. and good. Because we've got so many converts to the church. So this is something very relatable. Well, and the other thing that the article talks about too is um, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in December of 2021. And so it said over the next year, she endured several surgeries as well as chemo and radiation. And that, and, and this is while he's serving in the presidency of the 70. He's a, he's a senior person in the presidency of the 70. And it said it was a time of great adversity for the couple and their family. They found comfort in the gospel and felt the support from friends and loved ones and church leaders who were always quick to ask how his wife was. And, and it was interesting because they said at first they kind of wanted to keep it private and then they decided not to. And they were very glad that they shared this because they were able to then feel the love of everybody who was supporting them, you know, much like the scriptures say, you know, we, we, we mourn with those who mourn and we comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And I think just kind of, um, you know, a real lesson that, you know, sometimes we want to be, you know, fiercely independent and private, but sometimes the way that the Lord is sustaining us in those trials is by bringing people into our lives. And so if we don't open up, we can't be sustained in our trials by the people that the Lord wants to send us. (laughs) Amen. No. And I I loved that bit there because I think it's something we all struggle with letting, letting people in to help, you know, and yeah, it's nice to hear that, you know, an apostle struggles with that. Exactly. So, well, yeah. and the other thing too, the article had lots of pictures of his wife and I had really never seen pictures of his wife because, you know, you see the wives of the 12, but you get any lower than the 12 into the seventies and you never see the wives. She looks so young. I mean, she he's does. only 62, but um, you know, she's got some great, and I assume she's probably around his age, but she's got some good genes because she looks really good. She's beautiful. <laughs> she is beautiful. No, it's, I'm, I'm excited. And I just, they've got such an interesting array of experience in all the different countries they've, uh, been served in and gotten to meet members of the church. I just think this is awesome. Totally yeah. awesome. I, I'm with you. I'm, I will be very anxious come April conference to uh, to hear his talk and how his perspective has has shifted. <laughs> no, I agreed. I'm just it's good. It's going to be so good. So can't all wait. right. All right. Let's move Moving on to our on to service missionary story. Yes. I think I've got a couple. Of, there's a lot of things that are shifting and changing for the better. And I 
I wrote down, I'm here for it. And the funny thing is, I don't say that phrase a lot, but I keep saying it today. So um, I love this. So this article is all about how service missionaries are being integrated more into the teaching mission. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the service missionary program has been around for a while now and has provided opportunities for people to serve missions in a capacity that meets them where they're at, you know, because there are people for various reasons, medical, emotional, physical, whatever, they, they can't go and do the traditional proselyting mission. Yeah. Um, so this gives them that opportunity. And that's great. And that's fantastic. Well, and if I understand correctly, the service missionaries have just been assigned like by stake instead of being called to a mission up to this point. If I read yes. it correctly, yeah. Um, but we we've had a few of those. Uh, we one specifically from our ward, and so they live at home. Yeah, and yeah, he he wasn't assigned to the mission per se. His ecclesiastical leader was not the local mission president. It was our bishop and his stake and our stake president. Yes. Here. So now, beginning this month, it says all young service missionaries are becoming part of teaching missions under the leadership of mission presidents. So they will still live at home. Um, they will still work with their, um, their local stake president and bishop to be the ecclesiastical leaders. However, now mission presidents will begin meeting with these service missionaries, Mm -hmm. either in person or with technology, um, to get to know them, to address concerns, to welcome them to the mission. It legit, not that the service missions were not legitimate. I don't want to put it that way, but it, it adds another layer of legitimacy and inclusion to the service mission and, and celebrates it more. So I loved reading this because this is showing just a level of adaptability and flexibility that the church is uh, picking up on and finding ways to, to meet the members where they're at, because there are a lot of great people who cannot handle that traditional teaching mission. So there's ways to work them. And the examples they shared, you know, there was, one uh, young man who was, I'm trying to find it. Oh, goodness. He was. He, he went to uh, Austin, Texas. In, yes. And got sick. And he worked in a clinic. Yeah. Well, he, he was serving somewhere else. He got sick and had to go home. So now he's working uh, a in a clinic inputting data for health professionals and being an interpreter for Spanish seeking patients. That's not even in my brain, something I would have equated with a service missionary because it isn't necessarily church centric service, but it's a great service. And there was another example. Someone is working with a, uh, it was a Catholic community service organization with refugees and immigrants. And again, the missionaries are going out and teaming up and, um, helping to run the offices there. This is phenomenal. And this is amazing. And I love that now they are, they are called to this. They are serving in the mission. They get to have that bragging rights and, Mm -hmm. and they get to be more included and go to zone conferences. This is really, really cool. I completely agree with you. I I was very excited when they announced the service missionary thing. And over the course of the last few years, the church has just improved and improved and improved on it. And so I think this latest thing where they're integrating is, is even better. And just like what you said, I think it makes the experience more inclusive for the service missionary and, and for the other missionaries in the mission as well to, to see, Oh, guess what? There's just different forms of missions. And this guy is, you know, serving over here and, and, and who knows those connections that they'll make and how they'll, how they'll feed each other, um, missionary opportunities. 
Well, and you never know the seeds you plant. And I mean, yeah. it, it, it's just an impression. It could take years for it to to become something if it ever even does, but you, you do leave yep. that impression. So this is, this is amazing. And yep. this is improving upon a system that already has a lot of good things going for it. It's just how can we continue to make it better? So exactly. Love it. Love it. Okay. Let's find out what happens if you live in New York city and the church says, we're going to revamp the, the building that the temple's in. And oh yeah, sorry. That houses your congregation <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's a problem. So I, I, uh, this is my favorite article from this week. Personally, I've been to this building um, and okay. I've been to this temple. So fun fact, the font in the Manhattan temple is the tiniest font I've been in, in my life. Really? I, I got, my head got, yeah. I went um, and did baptisms there with a friend and he kept, you know, dunking me and he kept hitting my head on the side of the font. It's no. so tiny, but it's beautiful, but it is very compact, which I guess is maybe part of the New York aesthetic, it's but kind of- it's a really cool. If you've never been to this building um, for the listeners, so the Manhattan Temple is right in Manhattan, right by Lincoln Center and the Met Opera, and it looks like a business building. There is a Moroni on top and it points to ground zero, um, but you go in and the first and second floor, if I remember correctly from the article, are... Uh, the baptistries on the first floor and the temple. The second floor is a distribution center, church office kind of set up. And then the third floor is the meeting house. Um, yes. And it's, it's, you, you almost miss it if you're not looking for this temple, but it's at the same time, such a beautiful thing. Uh, so it is closing down for three years for um, renovations and whatever that entails. So they so, have three wards that meet there. Yeah, there's a YSA ward um, and then two others. So they have signed a, they've reached an agreement with the West End Collegiate Church Building, which is home of one of the four congregations of the Collegiate Church of the City of New York. And so they've signed this lease for three years. Uh, There is a shared and dedicated space in their building on West 77th Street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And so the churches, our church, the two churches will occupy the building in tandem. They'll have their own space and there'll be shared communal spaces. Um, and this building they're going to be using, there's a the picture in this article. It is a gorgeous building. It's it so was, pretty. Oh my gosh. Well, it was built in 1892. So it's got yeah. this beautiful architecture. It's brick. It's, it's terracotta. Tiffany windows. <laughs> oh, bet you like those. This, the stained glass from Tiffany. Yes. yes. I thought that was oh. great. It's beautiful. And like, honestly, if I was in this ward, I would not be complaining because I, this is a gorgeous church building and it is very different from our church buildings because ours are beautiful, but very simple. Yeah. This is, this has a nice level of ornateness that I am, I'm fine with. It's, it's really, really pretty. Um, and the church that is hosting us for the three years, they're also in talks with a third religious group, according to this article, to join a pioneering multi-faith campus. And I love this because I I love when faiths reach across the aisle and find ways to work together. And I think part of that is my upbringing. So I've been a member my whole life, but I actually attended a Catholic school for all oh. 13 years. Um, Which is very common in the Ohio area. I had cousins that lived in Ohio and they went to Catholic school. No, it was, my mom grew up Catholic. And so when we moved to the town I grew up in, 
they ended up placing my brother and I in the Catholic school. And I had a phenomenal experience and a lot of, look, went through the religion classes, did it all. But so I love seeing how we can find our common ground with other faiths. Um, and it, it's a partnership. And so I think this is just a beautiful example of, of that. And what a great opportunity to find what we have in common and to share our testimony and share a love for the savior through worship and through a space. This is just so cool. And this works so well for this church because they talk about how they had issues relating to COVID-19 and, and it's just been a struggle. And so this, um, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Yeah, it's a blessing. They talk about God's yeah. abundant blessings, welcoming new yeah. partners of faith to our building. It's just, this is great. So I am excited for them and I, I hope it goes well. I loved this story too. I just was left with one question. So apparently, at least according to the article, the Manhattan First Ward and the Riverside Park Ward, which are family wards, are moving to this building. But they didn't say where the Lincoln Square Young Single Adult Ward was going. Yeah, I wonder that actually. So it left me scratching my head. But I think I can find an answer for this. I've got a good friend of mine, and she is a meteorologist on ABC7 in New York City, and she attends that Lincoln Square Young Single Adult Ward. So I'm okay. going to be dingling in Danny Beckstrom <laughs> going, Danny, where are you going to church now? <laughs> See where no. they've moved the single adults. <laughs> Oh, and that's a, that is a very fun YSA ward because if I am correct, that would be the YSA ward that has all like the Juilliard students and the music oh, yeah. students. Yeah. So, and I know they have a beautiful grand piano in their chapel because I may or may not have gone in and tried to look at it the last time I was at that building. I'm <gasps> a music teacher. I'm sorry. I just had to. And I was drooling because it was gorgeous. And exactly. our pianos are all out of tune in our building. Um, and my other thought on this article before we leave it is I looked at this picture and I looked at the padding on those seats and I was like, man, that looks more comfortable than our benches. So, <laughs> so then the I'm, question so, is at the end of the three years, will these seats they go, that back? go to the Manhattan first ward and the river side, uh, park ward, will they go back or will they say, um, no, I'm going to take a hard pass. We need to keep going to church here. <laughs> And I think it also makes you appreciate, I mean, going to church in a building as beautiful as this and with all this symbolism and things, and then going back to our building that is, again, mm-hmm. so stark. I, yes. I just think it's we're, an interesting experience. Nothing it wrong is. with it. Nothing wrong with it either. Exactly. So it's so cool. And if, you, if you're listening, look this up and look up the picture. It is beautiful. It really is. So all right. Well, let's move on to our next story, which... I thought was just odd for our next story. So (laughs) that's the only way to describe it. So CES, which is the church education system, is going to host low pressure events to help reset the culture of dating. And they are going to host these events at BYU-Idaho, BYU-Hawaii, Enzyme College, Big BYU or BYU Provo, as I call it, and BYU Pathways Worldwide and 15 Institutes of Religion. So they're hosting this date night. Most of these events are taking place on January 31st. Uh, I think there was one of them that was that was actually happening tonight. And the impetus behind this is they want to reset 
the culture of dating in a low stakes, low pressure way. Mm, mm, you know, and I have and thoughts. I, well, I, 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 let me <sighs> before you get to your thoughts. I know. Let's just talk about what they're doing at the at the BYU at the big BYU. They are having date night with the Reeses, and he's the president of BYU. And it said that they are going to do a Kahoot, which is an interactive online game trivia platform. They're going to have a variety of activities Gosh. that include karaoke, dancing, bowling, board games, video games, international cinema, meet Cosgo, food, and and s'mores. And I'm just like, that just sounds like an activity. That doesn't really sound like a dating I mean, thing. I don't get it. It's encouraging people to, to socialize and try to meet people because there must uh, clearly they're seeing that there is a lack of dating earlier in the article. I love that they quoted president Oaks throwing some serious shade. He says, <laughs> perhaps some young adults, especially men have carried that wise counsel to not date before age 16 to excess and determine not to date before age 26 or maybe even 36. I loved it. I was like, That's I like hilarious. that too. Um, but so people, maybe they're not dating as much. And I mean, I'm guilty of that. I'm not even going to admit how long it's been since I've been on a date. Um, but so like all these events that they're throwing, like, it sounds like they're just really trying to encourage people to get out yeah. and mingle. Are they going to be successful? Who knows? I, I don't know. I, <sighs> I just, it, it was, it was odd to me. I, I mean, everybody I know and, and not that I'm in that demographic that's dating right now, but I have, you know, I have daughters that age. I mean, they're not in the dating scene anymore and friends that have kids that age. They're all using apps. They're all using online dating. And so I don't want to. Okay. We, we won't go down that path, that road. No, I but. Just, I, I've signed, I sign up for it once or twice a year and, yeah. and renew my account. And then I go through and I'm like, Oh, there's a reason I'm not dating right yeah. now. I'll just wait six more years. Yeah. Um, no, if I was going to do any of these, I would go to Ensign college Ensign college because the uh-huh. elder or president Kush, as he's advertised and said, it's free. There'll be tacos and sister Kush is my date. That's where I'm going. There's tacos. Okay. And everything is better with tacos. No, these, these sound like they'll be fun. They sound like they'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's actually like measurable success in this. Yeah. If this is a one-time activity or, or they take, they, they like the service missionaries. They start off with an idea and they expand on it and it gets bigger and better. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, we'll just, we're we'll still out on that. So, all the right. The one that next... I thought was weird. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. As I was say, the one they talked about, the, the pathway one was kind of weird to me because that sounded very virtual. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, that one is not, Yeah, I don't, for me personally, but yeah. hey, wishing them all success. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on to our next story, which is a pop culture story. I brought a visual aid tonight. My Stanley <laughs> It's cup. beautiful. It is right gorgeous. Here. Although I have to admit, it really sits on my desk as decoration that it does more than anything else, because I know these things are wildly popular and I know every Utah influencer, blogger, mom carries them around, but it's just not convenient for me. It's a little too big and it has the straw. Beverages can fall out. I have yeah, a I cup was wondering that's about like, that. 
it's tip proof. And that's the one I always take. But in any event, the reason we are talking about this is there was a new article that came out this week that Utah has drove the Stanley Cup craze. So as you know, we have a lot of influencers in Utah. Stanley Cups as thermoses have been around for a really long time, since 1930. Uh, in the last few years, specifically since I believe nine, or, uh, 2016, is when the, the modern 40-ounce version, which I am holding right here, if you are watching us on video, uh, they started producing that. And the Utah people went crazy for it. There is, um, in 2017, it was featured on this Instagram account called The Buy Guide, which is a popular Utah-based shopping blog that was apparently launched by three former BYU students. I had no idea. And then this has just picked up momentum and steam to the point that we see people in Target argue, fighting over getting their red and pink limited edition Stanley Valentine's cups. I'm sorry. No Because of the Utahns. No cup is worth getting trampled for unless it's like the Holy Grail. Then maybe we can negotiate for trampling. But no, no. I think they're pretty... I, I, I agree. And like I said, I, I, mine looks cool, but practicality of the Lululemon cup that has the spill proof lid is what won out for me. So yeah, what can I, I, mean, say? I wondered about that as I got to see them. to be completely honest, when I first heard about these, I thought that they were talking like about the hockey Stanley cup. And I'm like, did they make mini versions of those? Like what's going on? And then, then I saw them I'm like, Oh, they're just a tumbler. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, they look cool. I love this article, how they, it, this is obviously written aiming at church members, you know, how it you know, suited to Diet Coke is coffee, you know? And exactly. I'm like, you got to have a big old tumbler to keep your Diet Coke cold. <laughs> yes. And they mentioned the dirty soda craze, which yes, I want the dirty soda places to make it out West. I know that it may not be as popular, but I, I think, I think there's a market out here. I would personally love that. So and see, I think it it's happen. so funny that you say make it out west because I'm like, but in or east. In the west. Sorry. <laughs> east. My bad. Whatever. Just come out my no, direction. I don't met, know where that is. I've met a lot of people who think Ohio is West. And 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 it always leaves me scratching my head a little bit. I'm well, like, but you're in the Eastern time zone. Okay. Eastern time zone, but we're the we're the Midwest. We're we're confused. You know what? We're just Ohio. We're here. Go Bucks! Woo! Okay. So. All right. Our next story. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up to uh, a story I covered earlier. Uh, several months ago, I talked about the BYU women's soccer team. And BYU has an absolutely outstanding women's soccer team. And I believe I talked about them at the beginning of their season. And so this is kind of just a follow-up as to how their season ended. So they were in the NCAA tournament, which wasn't surprising because of the caliber of their team. And they were in the quarterfinals on November 24th, 2023. And they have this coach, and her name is Jennifer Rockwood. And she has coached them for years. She coached them when they were a club sport before they got NCAA sanctioned. And so they are down three to zero at halftime. So she takes them uh, into the locker room, and she's going to give them a pep talk. And she's really kind of mad. And so she decides, okay, I can't let my mad emotions show. I need to do something. 
So she kind of pulls herself together and she writes the number 79 on the blackboard. And she tells those girls, she said, this is how many goals you've scored this year. You are the leading goal scoring team in the country. You've averaged three goals in a game and every game you played in. So you know how to, you know how to score. So go do your thing. Just score one goal at a time and the momentum will shift. And that is exactly what happened is in the second half of the game, they went out and they scored four goals and they didn't walk out there going, we got to score four goals. They went out there. We're scoring one. They scored that one. We're scoring two. They scored that one. And they were able to get this momentum shifting. And I thought, what a good life lesson, because how often in our lives are we looking at maybe at something that is staring down ahead of us, we're staring something down ahead of us. And we think that mountain seems really insurmountable. But when we break it down into just the little parts and go, I'm going to start here, and then I'm going to go there and you get momentum. And it's the basic law of physics, a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest. So I really liked that they went on to win their quarterfinal game. They lost their semifinal game. So then they were out of the tournament. But they had five girls on this team that actually got um, selected in the National Women's Soccer League, which is really amazing. And so they have uh, two girls that are going to the Utah Royals, one girl that's going to Portland, and two girls that are going to uh, Bay FC. I'm not really sure where that is. But uh, anyway, so congratulations to BYU Women's Soccer. Congratulations to those girls who've been selected to go on pro teams. I'm pretty sure those girls that were selected to go on pro teams, those are not the last we've seen of them. It wouldn't surprise me, especially among the two Olivias. There's two Olivias. There's an, uh, an Olivia um, Wade Coda and an Olivia Smith Griffiths. And both of them are great players. It wouldn't surprise me to someday maybe see them on an Olympic team. I agree All 100%. Right. Our last story before we get to Mormons behaving badly. Uh, we're going to finish with another sports story. We have Steve Young. Now, as you know, he was the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco 49ers are headed into the playoffs this weekend. The current quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers is a gentleman named Brock Purdy. So Steve Young and Brock Purdy sit down and uh, basically have kind of a, I don't know if it was a podcast. It was definitely a recorded video that ended up on YouTube. And so they are there. The purpose of them sitting down is for this current successful quarterback to talk to a quarterback who had been with the San Francisco 49ers for three Super Bowls. I mean, he was with them for a number of years, but won three Super Bowl rings with them and to kind of get some advice. The conversation shifts and they both talk about God and they both talk about their faith in God and how football comes second to their faith in God and knowing uh, knowing their faith in God, knowing who they are as a person and that, that football isn't life, that faith and family and God is life, how that impacts their, uh, their ability to play football. And it was just, it was a great article, really liked it. Go watch the video. Can't say it better than that. (laughs) Laura, should we move on to my favorite segment, Mormons Behaving Badly? Yes. Because I've got some good ones this week. (laughs) They were bad this week. They they were, we, we had some good ones. So 
This first one actually hails out of Boise, Idaho, no less. This is a hometown one for me. There is a gentleman here in Boise, Idaho. His name is Russell Brunson, and he is an entrepreneur, and he started this business called ClickFunds, or ClickFunnels, I should say. And my understanding is it's a business that helps businesses like succeed online and manage their online presence. He teaches businesses how to do that. He is quite wealthy as a result of this. Uh, He also was a wrestler both in high school and college. And so he is the assistant coach for his son's high school wrestling team as a volunteer. Now, well, I'll tell the story and then I'll tell you how I first got introduced to Mr. Brunson. So uh, they had, and not that I've actually met him, but how how, how, who he is, uh, landed across my desk, so to speak. Okay. In fact, maybe I'll just start with that. Let's go back to September. <laughs> Do you remember Tim Ballard? You know, I did kind of a whole diatribe on the whole Tim Ballard yeah. thing and broke it down. A little bit. A little bit. So when the Tim Ballard story broke, Mr. Russell Brunson got on Facebook and did a video in support of his friend, Tim Ballard, saying, you know, I work on the internet all day long. Things are so manipulative. This is, you know, people out to get my good friend, Tim Ballard. And there is no way that the church released this statement. I've been in conversations with President Ballard and Tim Ballard, and they're really good friends. I mean, just denouncing everything that had come out in in the article. And then, of course, we know how that all ended, that the article, in fact, proved to be true. Russell Brunson never retracted that video. Now, that video is not online anymore, but he he didn't do a Glenn Beck. I mean, my hat's off to Glenn Beck, who said, hey, uh, I was duped by Tim Ballard. I was a firm believer, and now I'm not. To my knowledge, I've never seen any video that Brunson did that. Anyway, his video that he released on the Tim Ballard thing got a lot of steam, a lot of traction on Facebook, a lot of people reposting it. So that's not what he's behaving for badly this week. Assistant coach of the high school wrestling team. His kid is on the high school wrestling team. They have a match this last Saturday. His kid is in the match with a wrestler from another school. Mr. Brunson, or rather brother Brunson in this case, perceives that the other wrestler is engaging in an illegal chokehold. Now, when you watch the video, the uh, referee is probably two feet watching, two feet away from these kids watching what's going on. Rather than let the referee intervene or rather than tell the referee to intervene, Mr. Brunson, rather Brother Brunson, enters the mat starts smacking around the kid that he believes has his kid in a chokehold and just kind of went downhill from there. I mean, number one, it's wrestling. There's going to be physical contact. I mean, duh. Yeah. Duh. Duh. Well, and I asked my husband tonight because my husband was a high school wrestler we had a son that was a wrestler and I had him look at the video and I said, oh, what do you think? My, my husband was appalled. He's like, first of all, you never touch a kid. Second, you never go in on the mat. Third, you let the ref handle it. And, and then he went through, you know, there's several different ways. If this kid was truly not being able to breathe, that he, you know, could have tapped out signals he could have made and the ref would have intervened. He was like, Brunson, uh, Brunson didn't give the ref a chance to intervene. And so 
anyway, the fallout from all of this. It's, I, this it's, is it's a mess. It's a oh mess. This is truly, I think, the, the, the punishment fits the crime. So oh he gosh. was banned by the Idaho High School Athletic Association from coaching any sport in any high school for the rest of his life. He was also banned from attending high school wrestling events for the next two years. So he will not see his son, who is a senior, uh, finish up his senior season in wrestling. Now, he, of course, got online, tried to do a mea copa, tried to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't really mean to. But the parent in me just took over. He knew better. You know, he no, knew you know a better. Lot and better. My grandfather had a saying. He always said that, you know, it's too late to say you're sorry when you poked somebody's eye out. And it's that's exactly what's happened here. And I'm sorry. I love that, he, that they mentioned it. he's planning to appeal the ban on attending events. His son is finishing his senior season. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I'm sorry, it is a matter of safety. You just assaulted another student. There yeah. is no way that you should be allowed in a sporting event. I, I'm sorry. It's just no. Uh uh-uh. uh. It exactly. is twenty twenty four. Do better. Well, and let me just let me just end this story with a with a little funny tidbit. He lives in a stake adjoining mine. I have friends <laughs> in that stake. I, so? I, I reached out to one of my friends and I said, I'm just curious, what's his calling? So da, 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 she looks up and she's like, he's the communication specialist. Well, at least it's not technically <laughs> with children. I was like, hmm. So maybe he that, leads. I wonder how learn. that works. Like, did you, is your children in safety training revoked because of that for a while? Like, that is I a wonder really how that question. works. <laughs> Anyway, I just oh. I just laughed. I'm like, well, he wasn't communicating very effectively last Saturday. No. He lost his head. Shame so. on Brother Benson. Yes. Anyway, there Shame. you go. So my next Mormon behaving badly story is just hilarious. I love this one. <laughs> my sister Ariane said, this is reminiscent of the police beat in the Daily Universe. For any of you who went to BYU, especially in the 90s, they had the infamous police beat in the Daily Universe filled with all sorts of nefarious criminal activity that occurred on the campus at Brigham Young University. This is nefarious activity that was occurring in the Provo and Orem area. The article begins with, it's common for police to go after big fish in any investigation, but sometimes they have to go after smaller fish or in this case, a recent Provo police investigation. The person was leaving fish taped to ATMs around town. <laughs> so you got to go look at this article because there's literally fish. And I'm, I'm not talking like little goldfish. I'm talking fish that are probably 10 to 12 inches long are taped to ATMs. And did, so, Did you go look at the Instagram account? I did not look at the chance? Instagram account. So I did. When, Oh, what weird. happened is this gentleman, this boy, it was a 17-year-old boy that was ultimately arrested. Now, we don't know if he's a member of the church, but I, the circumstantial evidence leads my spidey lore legal senses to believe he probably is because he's 17. He lives in Utah County, specifically Provo-Orem area, which is highly LDS. 
And he's taping fish to ATMs. That just reeks of a 17-year-old Mormon boy. Anyway, so he would take he would tape these fish to the ATMs. He would take pictures of them. He had an Instagram account that was called, uh, his username was fishbandit84. And the on the account, it says, live, laugh, tape fishes on ATMs. No fishes were harmed in the process. So Laura, tell us about the tell us about the Instagram account. Yes. I took one for the team. I explored the Instagram yesterday. If you are someone who does not like seeing animals in distress, I would not go look at this Instagram because first of all, I don't believe that statement that fish were not harmed because some of the videos, the fish's mouths are moving. They're very clearly alive. So oh. that's a little disturbing. Um, okay. And some of them, it looked like they had like cigarettes in their mouth. It, it was disturbing and weird. And he would set it over music and like he'd have his feet dancing. Then he would zoom in on the fish. It's odd. I really okay. don't understand. The last video uh, was posted in early December, I think. Um, and there's only about, oh, there's 14 posts. You can see it. Yeah. Um, it. Wh- why? That's my big question. What drove someone to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So he's, he's now facing two misdemeanor counts of causing property damage. So we'll see I mean, how that plays out. Yeah. He says he's the fisherman. I'm like, mm, that whole fishers of men commandment. We took it too far. No, exactly. No fish. All right. One last uh, Mormon behaving badly. And this is a Chad Daybell update. Two weeks ago when I podcasted with my sister, I had indicated that Chad Daybell's attorney, John Pryor, had said to the judge, I'm not getting paid. Please let me out of the case. And so I, I ruminated on whether or not the judge would let him out of the case. Guess what? Judge Boyce has said, Mr. Pryor, I am not letting you out of the case. You are staying in. Um, we're running short on time, so I'll spare you all the details. But uh, let's just say that uh, John Pryor is staying in. Trial is still set for April 1st. It's a death penalty case. John Pryor is not death penalty certified. So I think that's going to kind of be the next hurdle. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to overcome that, but we, we, we got about 60 days to figure it out. All right, Laura, let's move on to our favorite things. You know, we always do our favorite things as our last segment, and you have been so excited to share your favorite things. So I am just dying to know what your favorite thing is that you're going to share with our listeners tonight. Okay, so I love playing board games and games in general. And also, I now am obsessed with rubber ducks, according to my students. It's a whole long story, but I own over a thousand of them in my classroom that they've all bought for me. Okay. I came in one day and they covered the floor. Like it's ducks everywhere. But one of my best friends in uh, my ward got me this board game for Christmas, Abduction. And it's about ducks in space. And it is like a strategy game where you have these formation cards and you have little plastic ducks that you have to move around your little board to match the formation. You can play it um, with a group of, you know, two to four to six players. You can play a solo version, which is really nice. Um, And you can play it with adults. You can play it with children. I played it with my nephews and my niece at Christmas. It is such a fun game. So, and if you like sci-fi references and things like that, I mean, ducks, space, aliens, this is it. You, so You got it all. Yeah. I, awesome. I love this. So that's my favorite thing. 
Okay. Well, my favorite thing is these are M&Ms and they are mini M&Ms. Now, they're not your regular mini M&Ms. They are the peanut butter M&Ms, which are my favorite M&Ms in the whole world. Only Mm. they have now made them in mini form. I did not know these existed. I was questioning my daughter last week because I wanted to put together a little snack cupboard for my grandson. So when he comes over, I can have all of the snacks that he likes. And she said, oh, he likes the mini peanut butter M&Ms. And I'm like, what? And so she she told me and I went and bought a bag. This bag, let me let me just open it for those who are watching. It's It's nearly empty. Yes, I feel like it's more dangerous with the meat. I managed to eat the entire bag. So now I have to go get a new bag for my grandson. And you are precisely right. Because they are tiny, you don't really realize how many you are consuming. I probably consumed about a third of this bag, the last third of this bag last night while I was crafting. And I got to the end of crafting and I was I was sorely ashamed. They are so freaking delicious. So that is my recommendation. Go get the peanut butter mini M&Ms. No shame. Okay. Well, Laura, it was so fun to have you here tonight. Uh, You are going to stick around. We are going to do a little quick Patreon segment after we wrap up here. So I appreciate you being willing to stick around for our Patreon segment. I've loved your commentary tonight. I loved getting a different perspective. That's been so much fun. Um, Before we close out the show, I do want to thank our sponsor, uh, Postum. I've been sipping on my little Postum beverage here the whole time. And, you know, it's growing on me. The more I drink it, the more I like it. The, the, the first the first drink, I was like, eh, I'm not so sure. But as I've been sipping on it here, I'm like, it's actually pretty good. So, twin listeners, you can always reach out and contact us at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can find us on the social media, on X, formerly known as Twitter, on our Facebook group, um, Twin Sisters Instagram. I will put up... Um, some pictures of the two things that Laura and I chose for our favorite things tonight on the Twim Sisters Instagram. So you can find us there. We really appreciate your support. And as always, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, you can throw two or three bucks a month our way to help us keep the lights on. And we appreciate you.